0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Cisco Tax Security Podcast, where we talk all things Cisco security, including configuration troubleshooting and hot issues being seen by the Cisco Technical Assistance Center. So, today we've got a, a little different episode for you. We've got a look behind the scenes um, with ASA Quality, and we've got a special guest from our Security Technology Business Unit. But first, I will introduce our regular panel. We've got Magnus Mortensen. How's it going, Magnus? Oh,
1: things are going pretty good. It's been a long week, but got a good weekend coming up. So, looking forward to it. You're looking
0: Looking forward to the weekend.
1: Yeah, I've got nothing planned. It's going to be everything I could have imagined it to be.
0: Okay, cool. Well, and we've also got Mr. David White Jr. How's it going, David? Fantastic, Jay. And uh, I, we do need to probably do a little shout
2: out. We've gotten a lot of fan email in the last week or two, wondering, you know, where the next episode is and what's taking it so long. So, uh, you know, thanks to all those fans that are writing in. Yep. And uh,
0: apologize for the for the short break. We've heard from Bill and Josiah and. Bob L. We've gotten some Twitter folks. We've heard from Ben. So, um, and all of those included really good ideas for future episodes. So please keep that coming. Let us know what you like and you don't like about the show. Um, So yeah, shout out to you guys. Thanks a whole lot. And to introduce our special guest today, we have Mr. Paul LaRue from our quality assurance group. So, Paul, tell us uh, what you do at Cisco.
3: Hi. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so, I'm a technical leader in the engineering team, uh, more specifically in quality assurance. So, my job essentially is to be the gatekeeper of the quality of the ASA product line. So,
2: one of the reasons, uh, you know, we were sitting around trying to figure out what would you know listeners want to hear about and there's some things that you know we've done an episode of behind the scenes attack and we thought hey it'd be great to do an episode around behind the scenes of something in the asa business unit and so quality is of top of mind to a lot of customers um, you know when we deal with issues in the attack typically we see the bad things right customers call in and say hey things are broken this doesn't work or you know potentially i might be running into a bug and so you know we thought it would be a great idea there's a lot of listeners out there that might want to hear about you know, what we do to make sure that we have high quality code and that we release high quality code. Um, and, you know, actually it's kind of funny, one of the listeners was commenting on our on our episode of, um, we did a while ago about the history of the pics, right? And we kinda, at the same time, around the same time in the tech we were talking about, you know, the devices with the longest uptime. And we actually found, you know, customer had a pics, he opened a case, and that the box had been up for over nine years. Yeah, maybe.
0: all the TAC engineers were on an th- email thread internally and we were talking about the longest uptimes we had seen in customer networks. It was pretty fun.
2: Yeah, and and this Pix had been up for over nine years, but, you know, that's a testament to the quality, right? I mean, it was in a live production network. I'm not going to mention the customer name, but it it, it was passing traffic in a live network, right, for nine years solid without a reboot. Um, And and so, like I said, that's a testament to the quality. So, we wanted to kind of, you know, peel back the curtain a little bit and give you guys a little insight as to, um, you know, the different rigorous things that we do to ensure that, we have high-quality releases of, of software.
0: Right, and that's really where Paul comes in. So, Paul, tell us about some of the, I don't know, at a basic level, I guess there's testing, right? So tell us about um, how, you know some of the testing that we do on our ASA software code. Well,
3: um, the quality assurance actually starts way earlier than just testing. You know, we, we, we sit down with uh, product managers and the customers sometimes just right from the product inception. What problem are we trying to solve, trying to understand what are we? F- what issues are we facing? How we're we going to solve it, and how does that translate into an engineering requirement? At which point we sit down with the developers go over the requirements, uh, figure out how we're going to test this in the future. I mean, building a great product is nice, but not being able to build a product that can be tested properly is even harder. So we, we include testability features right from the beginning. Uh, we make sure that uh um, there's a serious amount of unit testing being done and then it gets handed over to QA where we jump in with the big guns, I mean the big equipment and we go into all of the performance testing and all of these things. So it's a it's a very long process and uh we don't come in late in development. We're actually sitting in writing uh from the beginning.
2: And that's a great that's a great point that you bring up, Paul. Um one of the things that you know we do when we um start working with a feature is, is like Paul mentioned, um, there's a there's a functional specification that goes on about it. Well, there's a parallel test specification, right, that talks about, you know, as this feature is being created, here's all the tests that we do to validate the functionality of that feature and to validate, you know, negative testing, positive testing, and all those different things. And so there's a significant investment that goes in during the development of a feature into the testability of that feature. And so that really, you know, predates the the image itself being released and you know pushing out an image that's you know during the design of the feature there's a design of the test cases yeah. and th- and that's pretty you know uh, unusual i don't think a lot of people know that or think about that but that's just one example of the efforts that you know we go to in the process to you know get that qu- high quality of, of releases
0: you know, and one thing i think is really neat is that tax involved in that process as well so we're consulted we you know. Uh, you know, along with all the other tests that go on in that uh, testing functional spec, you know, we contribute some functional tests that we think are going to be important as well. So,
3: absolutely, we actually tuck uh, participates even more in that. I mean, we have them on the uh, parser mailing list. So, whenever someone needs to introduce a new uh, a new CLI or a new show output. Get involved in that, and they say, Well, you know, that's not going to be really helpful for us, so we need more than that. And then QA jumps in and say Can you please format it in a certain way so that we can write a script but then read it properly and make sure the data is correct? Uh, so, we actually get involved in all of these things, it's not just make sure it looks nice on the screen, it actually make sure it's useful and make sure we can test it in future releases.
2: So, Paul just covered, um, you know, how integral the testing is into the feature development. If we fast forward, you know, once that feature gets coded up and put into an image the next stage is really what we call alpha testing right so we build an image with that feature uh, in it and we move into the alpha testing phase and Paul do you want to talk just a little bit about you know the different tests we do and and how we actually do the alpha testing
3: so before we go to alpha tests, we actually go to um, an early field trial Um, especially when it's um, new hardware coming out or some major features Uh, we have a bunch of customers or uh, um, people within Cisco uh, who will take the boxes or will take the software very early on. It gives us the ability to get feedback from the field very quickly. So that's a very uh, small select amount of customers. And then once we have uh, um, stability in it and the features doing what we expect it to do, and it's done, it's gone through some level of QA, uh, then it goes into the next stage, which is the one you mentioned, which is alpha testing, um, which is internally called dog food. Um, Essentially you're eating your own dog food.
2: So. Your own
0: dog food, yeah. We and, and, and we net. actually
2: have alpha networks at Cisco that, you know, we're behind. So these products, whether they be brand new products or brand new software, they get installed on the devices in that alpha network that, you know, we're behind. So, you know, when we say eat your own dog food, it's, you know, a live production network with our boxes, our, you know, machines, our, you know, laptops and stuff behind it passing through the alpha network, right? Just to make sure that we're getting real-world data traffic through these devices to you know ensure the quality of the code on them.
3: Yeah, that's a real live network with real users not simulated users or machines. It's a, a production environment and that is, is becoming increasingly important for us because um, the, the message we're getting from our customers is that, uh, and that's why we build CX, you know, you, you need more context awareness, you need to be able to track users, you need to be able to be closer to real life rather than just saying oh, we can do X amount of connections or X amount of NAT entries. That doesn't really relate to real life. So um, alpha network is, is extremely important to us and is actually a master. We cannot go to the next step unless everybody who participated in the alpha network is satisfied with the quality.
1: So, Paul, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, different test methodologies in the alpha network, but in, in the scope of a timeline, really, how long does this process take, you know, from you know, uh alpha network to I guess really the next stage. You know, what is what's the timeline on this kind of testing?
3: It depends on the program. Um the one that I did just before the nine oh release, that was just over six months of testing.
1: Wow. So the, we essentially bake bake it in our own network for six months of testing and making sure that we iron out as many of the kinks as possible. Um like what level of testing does that really go through besides alpha? I mean no, how much Automated systems? Do you guys use?
3: Oh, automation. So we we have a commitment to automate a, a huge percentage of test cases that we produce for every new release. So at the moment, we're roughly about twenty five thousand wow. automated test cases.
2: And, and just you know, to to add a little color there, the, so you know we we talk about you know when you design the features, you've got test plans associated with it. you've got tons of tests f- per feature. And and the goal there is to try to automate those tests so that we can run them very frequently, right? So, you know, each build that we do, you know, we can run automated tests on to verify that, you know, the the feature is still operating um, as it was designed to operate, right? And that there's no issues showing up. So, you know, 25,000 automated tests is a significant number of automated tests. And, you know, we have these, you know, automated test beds, you know, actually around the world, right? And and tell us a little bit about you know, the the different locations and and how much equipment that we actually use just to do these automated tests.
3: Well, it's um, five different time zones at the moment. Uh, We have the West Coast, the East Coast, we have some in London, we have some in mainland Europe, and we have a huge chunk in Bangalore, in India. So, um, one of the other challenges of testing is to actually coordinate all of these teams and make sure that they're all in sync on what needs to be tested, when the test needs to be ready. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting process. Um, in terms of equipment, I don't have a whole list uh, up the top of my head. Uh, but So we have different test suites. I'll just give you the example of one of them. Uh, the first one is the build acceptance test, which is essentially every time somebody commits some code to the source base, uh, we run a series of tests on that, just to make sure that they haven't broken anything serious. And uh, just for that, we're looking at just over 60 racks of equipment scattered across the world.
0: Wow, so those are ASAs, all different types probably, and you know the infrastructure involved to you know keep all that stuff running. So that's amazing, 60 racks.
3: That's all the platforms, uh, a bunch of routers, a bunch of switches, um, simulations of environment, traffic generators. Uh, it's just a battery of desks that just gets run on every single check-in. So you just imagine, the amount of developers working in this group, every time we commit some code, there's 60 racks of equipment down there, ready to take their code and test it for them and tell them, hey, that that change broke something basic, or, I don't know, we can't do a reload anymore, can you fix that, Uh, or you're good, go ahead, commit some more code in the future.
2: And that's fantastic. I mean, that's really how, you know, we scale and how we can, you know, handle, you know, right now we've got, what, nine active code trains. Um, where we could potentially be committing code to, and you know, to you, you know, and that code base is is what probably millions of lines of code, right, Paul? We're up to what around 10 million lines of code. It's
3: something? roughly about 10 million at the moment, yeah.
2: Yeah, and so you know, that's a lot of code, right? That to have full coverage on. So the only way you can really do that at scale is through this automated testing. But it doesn't stop there, right? So automated testing is, is again just one other. Portion of the quality assurance that we do for these images. So, you know, we talked about alpha testing. We talked about the automated test beds. So, what other types of testing um, do we do, Paul?
3: Well, the automated testing is mostly functional testing. So, we actually make sure the features are still working. Um, then you have a bunch of testing on top of that. Is how many connections can we hold, or the performance testing, for example? Uh, and that is a another series of equipment uh, um, also scattered across the world. Um, with the ability to generate literally hundreds of gigabits of, of uh, throughput uh, sent out these boxes. Uh, we have scalability tests. There's a, a series of testing that goes in parallel at the same time. Those usually take longer, so um, we don't do them all the time on every check-in, but they happen literally every couple of days. Uh, there's a whole battery of these tests that's run against these images as well.
2: And then as we go to like what we've called a maintenance release or a major new release right we'll also add manual testing in and solution based testing so can you describe for our, our listeners a little bit about those tests as well so,
3: yeah the solution testing is something which is extremely important to us uh, especially with the um, the messaging that we have now as a Cisco and Cisco story you know the whole one Cisco thing that everything should work together so uh, we we've invested heavily in a um, solutions testbed where we actually have all of the Cisco networking equipment in it, uh, all connected. So we're trying to replicate data centers and branch offices and enterprise headquarters and so on, and with VPN tunnels and any kind of clients. So essentially trying to put all of the stuff that our customers use and how they use our equipment, stick all of that together. And in many cases, we actually go to the customer and say, can you give us an example of your topology or can you give us part of it? Uh, Some of them actually go as far as uh, sharing their configurations with us so we can replicate More or less the same thing internally, and that that's a great example of of them helping us build stuff that helps uh, that solves their problems. But it also allows us to make sure that whenever we make a release out, it just goes in very smoothly to their uh, deployments. They don't have to go through that extensive amount of testing that they usually do because they know we validated some of it already. So the solution testing is a huge part of it. Yeah, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, and then we also have the manual tests as well. So um, you know there's some tests that either can't be automated or we haven't had the opportunity to automate and we'll do a series of you know manual tests um, as well through the system.
3: Yeah so the, the manual testing is usually the most exciting part uh, of a test engineer's life because that's, that's where you get creative. that's where you start doing things that um, you're pretty sure someone else hasn't thought about. Um, you automate what you want to get done on a regular basis and stuff that can be automated should be done by machines and then you can get the engineers to be as creative as they want Uh, so there's a lot of ad hoc testing of course it has to be done with a certain uh, framework you can't just go completely bonkers about it you have to make sure and that's where my job comes in is to make sure that I give technical leadership and and direction into what are we going to test and how we're going to test it Uh, but the amount of testing we're looking at is I don't know roughly about 100 engineers uh, um, executing I would say thousands and thousands of tests on these. I don't have the exact numbers, but uh, um, as you said, we don't automate all of them, so the 25,000 automate is just, a, is just an, a, a small amount of all the test cases that we execute.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, a, you know, when you really step back and think of it, I mean, that's just a significant undertaking, a significant, you know, well-oiled machine and process. Um, but it, it really goes to show how much Cisco invests in making sure that the quality of the code is as high as it can be. Um, and, you know, with all this testing, too, we we also add tests like, you know, upgrade downgrade tests, right? And, and make sure that, you know, you can upgrade with failover with zero downtime, you know, ensure that that capability exists, um, you can downgrade right without any issues, you know, th- so, you know, all that stuff is covered. Now, you know, we spent a long time talking about uh, you know how we test versions of code. I think you know it might be a good opportunity for us to kind of transition to talk about you know what versions of code or what trains of code should customers be running. So I mentioned we've got nine active trains out there. It goes from uh, the oldest or the earliest is seven two train, right? Um, then we have the next one um, is eight two, eight three, eight four, eight five, eight six, eight seven, nine zero, oh, and nine one. Um, so that's nine different trains out there, and so you know let, let's talk for a minute about you know for customers are listening um, you know maybe the, the smaller customers they don't have dedicated you know uh, Cisco engineers on site to kinda help them provide guidance um, on the code selection you know what would we recommend uh, both from CNN and the tax side and from the BU side and where you know the investment has been
3: well I'll just tell you a little anecdote uh, that just happened uh, today so we were in, um, in one of these review meetings and we were looking at the uh, defect trends for the releases and someone pointed out um, it's very interesting that the latest release has got a huge amount of defects on it compared to the previous ones um, is that a problem with source code and the answer was no just because it's simply because we've invested more in quality we have far more people testing now so of course we're going to find more problems and um, essentially it's a it's a testament of the latest releases are the ones where all the investment is going that's where we're finding the most amount of problems, that's where we're fixing the most amount of things um, if we find a problem in 7.2 or 8.2 or 8.3 we will fix it because the customer found it and, and we have um, to provide them a quality release but the investment is going to happen on the latest one, on the 9.0 and the one releases because that's just what came out? That's where a lot of engineering effort went to. It that's that is what we expect our customers to be moving to. Uh, we've refactored a lot of the code. Uh, we've made a lot of very uh, um, interesting changes. There's a lot of very nice. Features.
2: A lot of our platforms have uh, larger memory than four gigs, and so in order to make use of that full memory, you need to be running version 84 or higher, which has the sixty four bit support in it. So you know that's a really good you know starting point for a lot of customers is you know when I look to what image should I be running right you know 8.4 is a good stable release right and then the next I would say you know the next large investment release and stable release would be the nine zero release
3: yeah would you correct. agree Paul? That's uh, that's absolutely correct yes so most of the investments is at the moment going in 8.4 9.0 and 9.1. 8.5 um, and 8.6 um, and even 8.7 as we know are very platform specific so 8.5 was for the uh, CAT-6K blades, um, 8.6 was for the 55X5 uh, uh, platform, so 25 and so on. Um, and now, these are now supported in the 9.0 releases. So anyone running 9.0 can run on all the platforms, except for the um, ASA-1000V, of course, which is still on
2: 8.7. And the other thing we should mention is, you know, we're talking a lot about trains. Um and the trains that are active now, which is February of twenty thirteen. But, you know, for the listeners, there's also within a train we have different releases. You know, um so we have nine oh one, right? We'll have nine oh two and then nine oh three. Those are the maintenance releases. So the suggestion is always to run the latest maintenance release within the train that you choose because a maintenance release picks up all the latest bug fixes um, you know, that have been seen by customers and that we've integrated into.
3: if, if we see a defect on, say, um, 8.4.2, um, first reaction is, can we reproduce that on 8.4.5? Uh, If it doesn't exist on 8.4.5, then the recommendation to the customer is you should certainly upgrade to 8.4.5 because that problem doesn't exist there. There's absolutely no reason for us to go and try to fix it on 8.4.2 because nobody should be using it. The reason we released 8.4.5 was because we found defects in between and we fixed them up to the point of 8.4.5. so that's an important statement. Yeah, we, we do encourage people to move to the latest maintenance releases uh, as soon as they can, um, because it's not only just about bug fixes, but there's also security uh, um, improvements and vulnerabilities, like the pieces that get fixed.
1: Paul, let me uh, ask you a question that's been asked of me a, a few times by our customers. Uh, they look at our release notes, and they see a list of bugs um, you know, included there as you know, uh, open or fixed defects. Um, and, and the question usually boils down to, why do we see so many bugs on the ASA platform? You know, what, what's kind of the trend, or what's the reason for seeing so many customer-facing defects?
3: So I, have, I get that question quite often, and the answer is quite simple. Uh, it's just an open book policy. Uh, if we know about it, we want our customers to know about it as well. Uh, just for that and in most cases, we include a workaround. so if something doesn't work, this is what you should do to get around it uh, and if customers start complaining about uh, a certain problem, then we give it priority because there's more people complaining about it uh, but it's always an open bug policy we We believe that if you, it it's better if we tell you honestly these are the problems that we know about, and this is how you're going to work around them. Rather than you finding them on your own, because that is far more frustrating than being told the truth up front.
2: Yeah, and that's something that's you know pretty unique, I think, um, to Cisco and in the industry is that, you know, and this doesn't apply just to the ASA product; it applies to all our products. That we've got a, por- a corporate policy that we will, you know, let you know as customers about any bug that you can experience on your equipment. And so, like like Paul said, there is no hiding of, of defects, right? Um, if, if a customer's experienced a bug, then all customers can see that bug. Um, so, you know, when you look at and compare maybe the release notes and the bugs that we have in ours compared to other products, it, you say, why is there a difference? And the difference is because we show everything. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's important to know that um, this is this is very much entrenched in the culture of company. I mean, this is actually one of the quality gates before a release can happen. Uh, it, it's one of the line items of all of the milestones that we have to achieve. And one of them is, have you documented every single defect that you're going to publish on a release note? Uh, uh, did you clearly explain what the symptoms were, how to identify them, how to work around them, all of that? We actually have a team of people who go through all of these defects and say, these symptoms aren't clear go and explain, go back to the engineer, and explain exactly how customers can find out how what log files we need to look at, uh, what messages we need to find. So this is one of the gates to be able to uh, CCO post an image. So the release notes have to be very clear and, and very explicit about it. Uh, it just, just proves to show how, how important this is to us.
2: And I think another thing w- which we didn't mention, and I'll, I'll add it right here, just to you know, because I just saw an email about it, right, is that um, when we file a bug, you know, we also have a verification. We have a process that says we must verify that the fix actually fixes a bug that was filed. So a DE can go and fix that bug and they can do their own testing and say, yeah, it's fixed. But then it also gets handed off to Quality Assurance or a Development Testing Group, and they independently test that fix as well to make sure that, indeed, the code that was committed to fix that issue really does indeed resolve that issue and that there's no yeah. other experience from it. So, you know, not only do we do testing to try to detect bugs but we also do testing to verify that the fix you know is independently you know tested and verified
3: absolutely so the developer who fixes a defect actually has to explain uh... what tests he ran to ensure that his fix works and then that gets handed over to the QA team and they independently go and test it um, and in many cases, well most cases actually they actually look at the change list or they look at the area that was changed and they figure out well I probably should do some testing around that feature just to make sure nothing else is broken or we didn't do any you know breakage upon fix because these things happen you know it's a very complex piece of code as you said there's over ten million lines of code um you change something here and it's you, maybe you break something else somewhere else uh, and the kind of testing we do at this stage is Say we'd make a change in NAT. Does it work when we do failover? Does it work in active-active? Does it work in multi-context? Does it work in transparent mode? Uh, um, so you, we try all of these different scenarios, and when you start multiplying that by the number of platforms, um, you end up with a substantial amount of different combinations in which one tiny little feature can be tested. And that's where the QA team comes in. That, that's that's the, what we do, because we have all the equipment and the people to actually run all of these tests.
0: Well, Paul, we want to thank you for coming on the show today and, and peeling back the curtain and showing us more about the QA process uh, for the ASA code.
3: Well, thank you very much, Ajay. Thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure.
0: All right, well, that's it for this episode of the Tax Security Podcast. Remember, you can always email us at securityshow at cisco.com, and you can always find other episodes at www.cisco.com slash go slash taxsecuritypodcast. Cool. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Cheers, guys. Cheers. No Thank you very much.